Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Four Persons Show on Blog Talk Radio. We are your enthusiastic and faithful Catholic apostolate. For more information about what we do, go to our show page at thefourpersons.com and our blog site at thefourpersons.net. To call in tonight with your comment or question, dial 515-602-9655. The number, again, is 515-602-9655. That's right, we are an official 501c3 nonprofit. And in order to help us keep doing the good work that we're trying to do here, we have eight scheduled shows a week now. And that's just the tip of the iceberg as to what we're doing here at the Four Persons. Later on, we're going to give you some information on how you can donate and contribute to this apostolate if you'd like to, to help us stay going. So, getting back to our lineup, we have eight shows, eight scheduled shows per week, and our Friday show is, of course, esteemed, esteemed apologist for the Catholic Church, Luke Haskell. Luke, how are you doing this evening? (laughs) Man, that's interesting. (laughs) Esteemed. Uh, I'm, I'm doing fine. Uh, I uh, uh, I just I, I try to stay humble in my my approach to things. So uh, thank you for the, the esteemed uh, word. Uh, uh, I well, guess we're, we're very very happy discuss- to have you. And <laughs> thank you. We've been kind of hammering home this uh, this. Protestant notion of sola fide, and we're going to kind of tackle that a little bit more today. So, uh, are you ready to jump right into it? Yeah, sure. And uh, okay. uh, why don't we start if, by if, discussing obedience to the faith? Okay. If we look at what we discussed uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we were looking at sola scriptura. And in that Saul scripture, we looked at the uh, Council of Jerusalem, and we saw that there was an authoritative church. So there is either an authoritative church or there is faith alone. There is either obedience to the faith or there's faith alone. We need to discern at the simplest level what is true, sola fide, also understood as faith alone, or living obedience to the faith in a sacramental life in that authoritative church. It has to be one or the other, and all across the New Testament are images of the apostolic church living the religion and ritual of the new covenant. If you want to believe in faith alone, then you have to extrapolate this from Scripture and in the process even create ambiguity. And at the same time, ignore Paul's call to obedience to the faith. Uh, we see this obedience all over Scripture, and at the same time, we understand that Luther even tried to add the word faith alone to Scripture to try and confirm this false doctrine. Luther said that Satan praised him for his creation of faith alone and hated the communion of saints in the, the Holy Mass. So obviously, Luther did not see faith alone in the historical record before him. So first, it's not in the record of the early historical faith. Many Protestants try and take a cookie cutter to Augustine, saying that he taught faith alone. No, Augustine, who lived the sacramental life, actually put a strong emphasis on grace. While he understood all the sacraments are grace given freely. 
second, and how we define this, we understand that the only time we see the word faith alone in Scripture is when James is telling members of the church that we are not saved by faith alone. James writes, do you see that uh, by works a man is justified and not by faith only? So, but we must also t- uh, make clear uh, uh, as, we, as we go through this that the church has never had a doctrine that said we are saved by works alone, which uninformed Protestants constantly accuse us of. Works are useless outside of the transformation of the soul into a holy creature. Holy in a simple understanding meaning uh, uh, set apart for God. Or in the state of being, it's not our works. It is God working through us in unconditional love. Okay. So before we get back to, uh, I know you had some points that you wanted to highlight here, but just wanted to interject one question. This false dilemma between faith alone and works alone, and that's basically how the Protestants prop it up. They they create a false dilemma that if you're not in favor of faith alone, you're in favor of works alone, um, which is absolutely not true. That's how they're able to set up kind of this, invent this conflict between James in chapter 2 and Paul in chapter 4 of Romans. That's how they're able to, to create this tension. Explain why there's really no tension between what James is saying and what Paul is saying, and then we'll kind of get back to your uh, layout here. Well, James and Paul are basically saying the same things. If you take into consideration uh, uh, Mosaic law as it was understood, when Paul talks about being saved by faith and not works, he's talking about the second legislation of Mosaic law. This was the curse of the law given for worshiping the golden calf. They had the Ten Commandments, and then they went and worshiped the golden calf. And so God placed the second legislation, which Paul calls a pedagogy, or a strict schoolmaster for a child, where in this second legislation all across the Leviticus, he even got the Israelites to sacrifice what they once worshipped. So it's, it's, it is the child's taskmaster that Paul refers to. Paul never puts down charity. He never puts down the religion and ritual of the New Covenant. He never puts down a, a, a obedience to a priesthood. So right. when James talks about works, James is in the context of charity through Christ. Uh, uh, Christ has no hands now but ours. It is through this transforming grace that James refers to when he talks about uh, the charity of assisting others, loving others, doing for others. This is something totally different than the works Paul refers to. Because Paul is constantly being attacked by the Judaizers, the baptized Pharisees, who are trying to get the Gentiles in the church to follow Mosaic law, the letter of the law. So Paul is making a distinction between the works of the law and the works of charity. And, and if you don't believe that, well, you, you have to throw out Romans chapter 2. You have to take Romans chapter 2 and rip it out of your Bible because uh, it, it very, very clearly says that every man will – God will render unto every man according to his works. Those who do evil will receive judgment. Those who do good will receive eternal life. Okay, so back to our our format here. You mentioned Occam's razor. Uh, Please uh, explain that. Yeah. uh, Those who establish a doctrine of faith alone, in order to accept faith alone, have to have purposefully muddied the waters in order to go against 1,500 years of truth and ignore contradiction after contradiction to this understanding that is present in Scripture. Because of how much this deception has been built up in people's minds, I think it is necessary to go back to simple common sense. These false understandings became part of the collective consciousness of Protestant thought. Uh, We can use a modified understanding of Occam's razor and apply it to Scripture in order to reveal this simple truth. Occam's razor theorized that the answer with the shortest amount of elements is usually the truth. This is also understood as a short truth. An example would be love is blind. So uh, 
in order to get down to something just really basic, uh, let's apply this to genes saying faith without works is dead. So with the foundation of office razor, we can basically solidify the truth against faith alone by finding that in Scripture what goes against the short truth creates contradictions and often long drawn out explanations, which end up in sophistry uh, in order to support those contradictions. What supports truth simply solidifies the truth in the smallest amount of elements. Uh, in other words, everything of truth will support the answer that is composed of the smallest amount of elements in the example of faith without works is, is dead. Uh, to give the examples, uh, we can look at uh, some verses here. We look at um, uh, in Matthew. Uh, Jesus is saying, I tell you on the day of judgment, then will render account every careless word they utter, for by your words you be justified, and by your words you be condemned. If we apply Optimus Razor, faith without works is dead, does not contradict. Uh, uh, in Hebrews, Paul says, follow peace and holiness with all men. Without, no man shall see God. So, faith without works is dead, does not contradict. We need peace and we need holiness. Paul writes to Philippians, wherefore, my dear beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more now in my absence, with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. Definitely, faith that works is dead, does not contradict. Here we see obedience to the faith. Paul says, as you have always obeyed. And the first, in First Peter, we have, and if the just man shall scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly or the sinner appear? Again, faith without works is dead. First Peter four eight. But before all things have constitutional charity among yourselves, for charity covereth the multitude of sins. Again, therefore, we can go on and on and showing the opposite of faith alone. It very quickly becomes a contradiction to simple reason. Mm-hmm. Now, Luke, I've been doing apologetics. Uh, for 40 years now <laughs> as uh, Catholic apologetics and rarely will I ever find a pro- Protestant who is willing to confront these verses and when they do they come up with some absurd thing well these are for the people who were left during the tribulation period or some crazy you know nonsense like that Mostly, most of the time, they'll ignore all the verses that you just gave, and then they'll come out with Romans 10, 10, 9, for instance, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. This is called proof texting. So explain to our listeners why I just took Romans 10, 9 out of context, does not say what our Protestant brothers and sisters are claiming that it says. Well, who's Paul talking to? He's talking to people who were baptized in the church. From the very beginning, there was no entrance into the church without baptism. And what did those of the age of reason do in the process? Peter says, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Well, you could add to that the the process of confessing, repent and be baptized if you confess. So what's happening is the process of being saved through baptism. And Paul, again, again, he is writing to people who he established in the faith. He established churches with bishop, priests, and deacons, people who would baptize, people who would teach his faith, people who would live the sacramental life, people who were there in God's design to be, to be obedient to as the leaders of the church. You know, so let me turn it around and give the flip side of this then, because, um, and hold on a second, I'm searching for the specific verse. I'm searching for. I've got the chapter, but I'm searching searching for a specific specific verse. So give me just one second. Uh, 
Okay, so, oh, here it is, right here, verse 19. It's James chapter 2, verse 19. Sorry it took me so long to find that. It says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Sorry it took me so long to find that. So it almost sounds like if you don't understand what, who Paul is talking to and what he's saying and who James is talking to and what he's saying, it almost sounds like James and Paul are having a fight with each other uh, but James is using uh, James is using belief in the sense of the word pistis, which means uh, 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 intellectual assent. But what Paul is talking about in Romans 10 is the word pisteos, where it says believe in your heart. It actually goes a lot deeper than than that intellectual assent. It actually the word pisteos actually means to trust in, to believe in, to lean on. So James is actually James and Paul are actually in agreement here saying that intellectual assent is not enough. The demons have intellectual assent. They know who Jesus is. But Paul is talking about an active faith, an active belief that is going to be born out in born out and perfected in actions in in works of charity isn't that what isn't that what uh, Paul is saying in Romans 10:9 well exactly and if you look at what James is doing hero Israel our god is one he's he's basically saying that if you have the shema if you have the jewish creed but do not have that spiritual spiritual connection, do not have that holiness, do not have that uh, uh, Christian understanding, then you're basically just in a state of intellectual ascent. Right. So it's almost like James is trying to have the words, but you don't have the life. Right. It's almost like James is echoing what John the Baptist said. Do not presume to declare yourselves children of Abraham, for God could raise up from these stones children of Abraham. So let's go back to our uh, to our outline here. Let's return back to the obedience of faith. Well, Luke writes in the book, the book of Acts, and the word of the Lord increased, and the number of the disciples was multiplied in Jerusalem exceedingly. A great multitude also of the priests obeyed the faith. So Levitical priests came into the faith. Obeying the faith is far from faith alone. It implies there is a structure of belief that must be lived in order to live as a Christian, something that truly defines one as a Christian. Scripture tells us that the church was dedicated to the doctrine. Doctrine is defined as a principle or a position or the body of principles and a branch of knowledge or system of belief. Uh, also understood as dogma, uh, a word that Protestants hate. <laughs> this is being taught before a word of the New Testament was written. Apostolic mm-hmm. tradition is simply just the faith lived. In Acts, we see that Levitical priests chose obedience to living the new covenant. If they believed, then they, through obedience to the faith, were baptized into the church. No one entered the church. No one chose belief. Without baptism, this is clear in the historical record of Christianity from the beginning. In the Old Covenant, the Israelites took an oath swearing on their own lives of obedience to God to live by the commandments and the laws of Leviticus. The second legislation, which we discussed, uh, this is why when Paul said Christ paid the debt, Paul is explaining that Christ paid the debt for the Jewish people who failed in keeping their covenant oath with God. The oath was a curse of basically separation from God that the Israelites uh, entered into. So that's why Christ had to go to the cross. Uh, This is one aspect of the course. Baptism is something totally different. The Protestant looks at this verse about paying the debt as proof of once saved, always saved. Like many other verses, Protestants try and use against the Catholic Church. In the proper context, it proves the opposite. It proves a failure of obedience. The Israelites gave us a vision of this payment in the Passover 
without even understanding it themselves. It was only revealed uh, through Christ. Therefore, you see images of a veil in the Old Covenant. Uh, in Hebrews 10.20, Paul tells us that the veil is the flesh of Christ. Yet in Ephesians 5.29, Paul tells us that the veil is also the church. The veil is also showing how the Israelites lived the types that God fulfilled in Christ and his church. So God who established the Passover, uh, this, this is completely amazing if you think of the spiritual reality of this, came in the flesh 1,300 years later and said that he was not here to abolish the law but to fulfill the law. So the new life of Christianity did not separate man from the law, but it fulfilled the types through the law being written on our hearts and the sacramental life as a chosen people, the holy nation, the royal priesthood in the flesh of Christ. A lot of what you see in Leviticus is to show the soul, the, the spiritual reality of the sacraments, the images there, which we will get into in, in a later uh, um, show. So uh, we're more responsible now uh, for the true nature of the commandments now than the Jews were who had the law on stone for hearts of stone because – through the love of the cross, they, they've actually been written on our hearts, uh, our conscience. Uh, this is what I see as uh, a lost stone raised to holiness of conscience. Uh, God in Matthew 5.21 tells us, You have heard that it was said of, uh, to them of old, Thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall uh, be in danger of the uh, judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of judgment. This is a law of conscience. He says, you have heard that it was said to them of old, thou shalt not have committed adultery. But I say to you that whoever shall look on a woman to lust after her hath already committed adultery in his heart. This is the law of conscience, not faith alone, not in close. And, and obedience to faith is also an integral part of living the law of conscience. God tells us, be holy as, as, as he is holy. The first time the word made flesh referred to the new covenant, he did so in the context of the new Passover, which he said he strongly desired to celebrate. I mean, it's just amazing. Or which he strongly desires to celebrate with us. This is a spiritual message of Mass. This is a deep spiritual reality we will go into in a later interview when we focus on Mass. Uh, after God told us bread becomes his body and wine becomes his blood, or the new covenant is blood, which is the true Passover before the Father, he said, do this in memory of me. In Greek, the word is anomalous, which means offer this once again, or offer this as my memorial offering. And this is the way it was understood from the very beginning. This is not an example of faith alone here. It's an example of obedience to the will of God as part of being a Christian in the new covenant. The Jews had their covenant laws, and so does Christianity. They never separated from the law. Uh, Jesus, God became the flesh to do this. Paul told us the spiritual reality of what happens when we do do this. When he wrote for his often as you shall eat this bread and drink the chalice, you show the death of the Lord until he comes again. Or from the beginning of Christianity until the end of time. This is Christianity. This is living obedience to the faith. Absolutely. Luke, let's get into some of the practical nuts and bolts problems of of, of Sola Fide. Break it down on a practical level, okay? So this, this idea that Christ paid the debt, it is finished. That's the term that they like to throw at us. It is finished. And, and, and I've had Protestants that have told me Christ paid the debt for my sins, Past, present, and future. Here's the problem with that on a practical level. If if you go out to dinner, okay, say you took your family out to dinner, and just as the check comes, you realize you left your wallet at home. Okay? And... Mm-hmm. I decide that's no problem. You know what, Luke? I got it. I'm going to pick up the check. Okay? okay. I'm paying. I'm paying your debt. 
okay? That that's called forgiveness of a debt. Okay? On the on the other hand, if I'm paying for not only the meal that you had last night, but in advance for any meal that you may have in the future, well, that's no longer paying a debt. That's license. <laughs> I'm giving you license to go out and, and eat on to eat on my on my tab, right? So, yeah, so from a practical standpoint, they're defending a doctrine of license to sin. That's what they're doing. Yeah, it, it, it's really sad. I mean, uh, a lot of Protestants, uh, not even knowing it, would actually go against their own doctrine just to love Christ in, in, in a certain way, to a certain extent. You know, obviously, they don't love obedience to the faith, but the love of Christ, they in turn, you know, focus on not sinning. But the problem is human nature. And in human nature, it's, you, you always fall into this where you basically make excuses for sin. Right. And that's why you have the narrow road of the sacramental life in the church. You know, uh, outside of this narrow road, it's, Satan's on both sides of the road. Right. And by creating these false doctrines, you're actually susceptible to just huge deception. Right. So let, let me talk about the second practical problem with sola fide. Second practical problem with sola fide is the first command that we get from Jesus in his public ministry is repent and believe in the gospel. Repent, which means to turn away from. Well, they've nullified the idea of repentance. <laughs> I don't I don't need to repent anymore. Uh, all my sins are forgiven. So the sins that I forgive tomorrow, I don't need to repent them. They're already forgiven. Uh, and some people don't go far enough in, the, in this. Some people say, well, no, you still got to repent your sins. Well, if I still have to repent my sins, then once saved, always saved is false. So um, then they get into this practical circular uh revisionist circular nonsense of, well, you know what, person A who fell into sin, he wasn't really saved in the first place. Well, then how do we know who is really saved and who isn't saved? So from a practical standpoint, from a logical standpoint, isn't sola fide like a dog chasing his tail around and around in circles in a room? Well, it's circular reasoning, and it never, and, and when you get to that point, uh, how much confusion that it, does that create where a person is thinking, am I really saved because I committed these sins? <laughs> you know? uh, I mean, how do you, how, how, it's, it's, it's not very logical because they, they say that, uh, well, you wouldn't do these things if you're already saved. Yeah, people continue to do them. So, you know, does that mean they're not saved or they are simply a product of their lower nature and have yeah. to work against that? Uh, as Peter says, it's concupiscence. It's it's it, it's inbred in the lower nature to sin. Therefore, God established the sacraments as helps against concupiscence. Right. Now, I think the people who believe in sola fide are half right. They're right by half measure. Uh, they start off on the right foot, and then they go off on the wrong foot. And they start off on the right foot by assuming that we don't also start off on the right foot. And that is this understanding that through my own effort, I cannot overcome my sins. Through my own effort, I cannot overcome my weakness. It is only by the grace of God that I'm able to overcome my sins. Now, this is something Catholics and Protestants both agree on. Protestants don't believe that we agree on that, but we do. But then they turn around and, and they say, well, God has to do for me what I cannot do for myself. No, God does through you what you cannot do for yourself. So if if God commands us to do an action and then enables us to carry the action, carry out the action by his grace, 
and we were to would refuse to do that action, would refuse to carry that out that action, then how can God, whose justice is perfect, not punish us for that? How is that possible? Yeah, I, I think this is why they falsely understand a lot of Augustine's message on grace. And uh, it is it is by grace that we're able to lift a pinky. <laughs> it's by grace that we choose, you know, right over wrong. Is uh, I mean, it's it is even the idea of guilt is by grace. So when we are saved by grace. These are things I think that in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, because the law was not yet written on our hearts, uh, there there is a dichotomy here where you have a letter of the law, which the Jews are supposed to follow as a pedagogy, and then you have the law of conscience written on our hearts, and this is by grace. So this confusion of being saved by grace Heck, <laughs> entering the church is grace. The law written on our heart is grace. All the sacraments are grace. A, a, a turn toward God through humility is grace. And yet, you know, Christ paying the debt, that in itself, in, in the context of what Paul is saying, is something uh, a lot different. Yes, the, 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 the paying of the debt from uh, our original sin gives us entrance through the cross by way of the water, blood, and the spirit that flows from the rib, the true Adam of life, which is our baptism. That is paying that initial debt. And yet, over and over again, Peter and Paul, they actually talk about past sins. Uh, Peter says, purged from past sins. It doesn't say future ones. So how are we purged right. from past sins? He's talking to those who are baptized in the church who receive their, their remission of their original sin and active sin up to the point of that baptism. And Peter even refers to those who knew the right way, had learned the right way, and had lived the right way, turning back to the sinful life that they left. He even refers to them as dogs returning to their own vomit in Second <laughs> yeah. Peter chapter 2, which is Peter had a knack for being uh, unnecessarily graphic sometimes. Uh, when, when he talks about Judas hung himself and he split open and all his entrails fell out, Come on, Peter. <laughs> we get it, okay? You don't need to go into all the... But, uh, but you know, he hammers the point home very, very clearly. For anyone who wants to call in, we have apologist Luke Haskell on. The number is 515-602-9655. Again, 515-602-9655. Now... We know this apostolate has been growing, and our shows have been growing in in popularity, and our articles have been growing in popularity, and we thank you for that. Uh, Just want to say to you folks, this is a 501c3. It is a nonprofit, and it does cost money to keep it running in terms of the shows, in terms of the subscriptions, and we have to pay for a lot of the music, a lot of the images, a lot of the stuff that we have to pay for, we have to pay licensing fees for so anything that you donate to this apostolate will go right back into the apostolate we are a nonprofit. we don't have anybody making any money off of this we have no paid employees so any donations you give will go right back into the ministry if you'd like to make a donation we are, are not yet able to take online credit card donations although we're working on that you can send a check to the Four Persons Incorporated, P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, that's M-A-N-A-S-S-A-S, Virginia, 20113. Again, the Four Persons Incorporated, P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. We're going to take a real quick commercial break, and then we'll be right back with Luke Haskell. Looking for a Catholic counselor? Dr. Peter Claponis 
Deb Rojas and the team at Integrity Counseling Services provide faithful Catholic counseling in Pennsylvania and beyond. We offer telehealth and in-person counseling for porn addiction, betrayal trauma, anxiety, depression, marriage counseling, and much more. You can find us at IntegrityCounselingPA.com or 610-601-9781. That's IntegrityCounselingPA.com or 610-601-9781. Looking for a Catholic counselor or coach? Dr. Fred Boley provides faithful Catholic counseling and coaching for men in Missouri and beyond. He conveniently offers telehealth services for anxiety, depression, marriage counseling, or just getting stuff done. You can find him at stbarn.org or 872-269-1280. Once again, the number is 872-269-1280. Catholic recording artist, multi-award winning songwriter. She sings contemporary and folk rock music. She has been in the music industry for over five years. Her music is her ministry. She aims to help people that suffer from all kinds of pain in life and try to bring them to the Lord through her music. She has three albums out and her music is being played on radio stations all over the world. Her website is lisamarinacole.com and she is on social media. Her music page is facebook.com Lisa Songs of Worship. YouTube at Lisa M. Nicole. Instagram Lisa underscore Marie underscore Nicole underscore official. Her songs can be purchased on her website, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, and everywhere else. Her merchandise store has everything for her ministry and can be accessed through her website. Her new CDs will be available very soon and can be purchased through her website. She counts herself blessed that God has chosen her to help spread his message. She is Lisa Marie Nicole. Get her music today. The Four Persons Network asks our Catholic friends to check out and join the fast-growing Catholic website, message board, and community at Catholicism Rock. The quality and diversity of contributors is breathtaking and the content spans everything from education to news and commentary and spiritual insights. Partners of the Four Persons and our friends. Please check them out at catholicismrocks.com. We now return to the regular program on your only real Catholic defenders of the deeper truth of our sacred faith, the Four Persons. And we are back with apologists. Luke Haskell delving deeper into this idea of sola fide versus obedience. Luke, I want to revisit the point we were just making a minute ago. We totally agree with our Protestant brothers and sisters that the sacrifice Jesus Christ made at Calvary is sufficient in terms of grace to purge, to erase every sin of every person that has ever lived or will ever live. We agree with that. We agree with the material efficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. Where we part company is how that grace, how that is applied to us, what we must do, and faith alone just doesn't cut the mustard. We have to do more than simply believe uh, intellectually. Uh, we, we have to do more than intellectual and verbal assent. Talk about covenant relationship and why the word covenant appears 400 times in Scripture, because that's really what it's all about. It's about a covenant relationship, and that's how those graces are applied to us. 
Well, uh, the word covenant comes from an ancient Semitic word, uh, barit, and it's uh, far from just a contract. Uh, that, that's a very cold word that some people use. Uh, it's actually a bonding and a family relationship. Over and over through the scripture, you see family relationships developed from Adam and Eve as you know the foundational uh, proto-family, man and woman. It develops into a family relationship of community. It develops into a larger relationship of, of a kingdom even. And it moves on into the final covenant with man. And the word buried also has a fascinating image in it because uh, the way that the uh, word was used, uh, berit means to cut a covenant, which is a sharing of blood. So one person who is entering the covenant with another would cut his arm, and the other person would cut his arm, and they would put their arms together showing a sharing of blood. And scripture is just so perfect, such a seamless fabric when it's seen through the covenant mysteries. Because what do we do we see God doing at the Passover? This is my blood of the new covenant. What do we see Paul doing? The cup of benediction that we bless. This is not participation in the blood of Christ. So the ultimate covenant, the types become the heavenly reality of the actual sharing of the blood of, the, of, of Christ who has been glorified, of Christ who is, is uh, a spirit, a quickening spirit who flowed through the cloth, the, uh, uh, no longer being of a carnal nature, but a spiritual reality, and gave us this spiritual reality to actually create union with him. So uh, in this aspect, getting back to the obedience to the faith of, of the new covenant, and when we look at the Eucharist, when Christ says, do this and remember and remember to me, all Christians are called to do this. Once you know you cannot remain in the state of grace and at the same time not choose obedience to the faith, this is how God establishes faith for the humble who know holy fear. Holy fear as this uh, a child uh, who does not want to disappoint a benevolent father. Through this true Passover, we are called to show the death of the Lord, the Father, until the end of time. Again, so talking about contradiction to faith alone. You're talking about filial fear as a, as opposed to servile fear. Yes, servile fear yes. was the Old Old Testament. And Christ showed us the difference when he says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Right, right. You know, it's interesting. Let me point out something that that I think will blow a lot of people away. But you talked about this this sharing of the covenant and its union, unity with God, and that we are called to share his body of blood. Now, one of the accusations that gets thrown at Catholics is that – well, that makes us cannibals. Well, no, because for two reasons. Number one, because Jesus is not dead. We're not consuming a body and blood of a dead person. We're receiving a living person inside of us. And the second thing is that um, whenever we consume um, like the meat or, or any other kind of food, it is incorporated into us. It becomes part of us. When we receive Jesus, we're incorporated into him. Okay? And let me tell you something scientifically fascinating, Luke, that um, kind of bears this out. Do you know the blood type that has been identified in every recognized Eucharistic miracle uh, including and, and including the blood type found on the Shroud of Turin. Do you know what blood type it is? Oh, let me take a guess. AB positive. <laughs> it is AB positive. Nice guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's two interesting things about AB positive blood. One is that it is present in only about 4% of the population. 
So it is a rare blood type. The interesting thing about AB positive blood, it is it, it is the only universal receiver. A person who has AB positive blood. That kind of stuff just brings tears to my eyes. <laughs> What's that? That kind of stuff just brings tears to my eyes. You know, when you think of the love there. Yeah. Because it is the only blood type a person who's AB positive blood can receive the blood of any other person. It is the only blood type in which that is the case. And here, Jesus, <laughs> it, you know, God in his manifold wisdom created Jesus with AB positive blood so that he could receive unto him anyone else. It's just mind boggling. Uh, if, if we were going to get back to uh, obedience of faith, and yep. we look at we look at the Eucharist, and we see the sacramental life being lived in the early church, uh, and you have Christ saying, "Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but they, but he that doth the will of my Father, who is in heaven, he shall enter the kingdom of heaven." Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have not we prophesied in thy name and cast out devils in thy name and done many miracles in thy name? And then while I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. So working iniquity is separate from obedience of faith. The word made flesh is telling us that even if the Holy Spirit is working through us to perform prophecy, even miracles, Obedience is a greater importance to God than the miracles. And of course, Satan comes in an angel of light who can plant false prophecy in minds and create false miracles. Therefore, God gave us uh, that narrow road, back to the narrow road of obedience to faith and sacramental life. So that through humility, we're not separated from truth. Uh, therefore, Paul writes to the church at Rome saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning the Son who was made to him the seed of David. He goes on, it says, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith in all nations for his name, among whom are you are called of Jesus Christ. And what's fascinating, Irenaeus said that all the apostles were priests, Scripture tells you that the Christianity is to be obedient to the priesthood. This is not faith alone, not even close. You can't ignore some things in Scripture to believe an interpretation of unbelief about other verses, uh, or an interpretation that contradicts the verses you choose to ignore. You can't right. relegate these verses to ambiguity and its insignificance in the way you process information in your mind. Uh, many do this on a subconscious level. Uh, obedience to faith shows an understanding of Christianity that's much, much greater than just intellectual assent to Christ being God when mm-hmm. the cross and rose again. Much more, and uh, much more important than prophecy and miracles. It's much greater than the simple Protestant theory that belief results in good works. It's a complete change at the soul level. A partnership between man and the Holy Spirit is 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 a clear understanding. This is in in a, in a humble life. Um, it's a daily basis. It's living the sacramental faith, the new covenant that begins with baptism into the chosen people, the holy nation, the royal priesthood. Uh, and the, uh, and the scriptures are very clear. This is a necessity. And, and the scriptures ahead, are very sorry. clear that when you do the works of God. You are incorporated into his family. I mean, Jesus said, he who does the will of my father, the same are my mother and my brothers and sisters. And then we, of course, see this in in, in Revelation chapter 12, where it says the children of the woman are the true believers of God. This is the other the other half of that, where we're actually incorporated into his family. His mother becomes our mother. Uh, we become his brothers and sisters, and uh, we see this over and over again in Scripture. We see Matthew 25, where Jesus 
draws very, very clearly those who are of his fold and those who are the goats. Uh, Jesus says very, very clearly, my sheep hear my voice. Uh, over and over and over again, we see this. And, and honestly, these people that say that uh, it's faith alone, you accept the, uh, Jesus and it's faith alone, I don't really know where they get it. Well, a lot of stuff that, you know, they, they have now, you know, the church fathers already, you know, challenged, you know, uh, it, not not the not the pure understanding of these doctrines, but the manipulation. Uh, therefore, they were, they were constantly being challenged by people who wanted to read scripture and have their interpretations. Uh, Irenaeus, again, who's a disciple of Polycarp, who's a disciple of John the Apostle, wrote, those therefore who desert the preaching of the church call in question the knowledge of the holy presbyters, not taking into consideration of how much greater consequence is a religious man, even a private station, than blasphemous and impudent sophist. That's pretty strong. Now such are all the heretics and those who Im- uh, imagine that they have hit upon something more beyond the truth, so that by following those things already mentioned, proceeding on their way variously, inharmoniously, and foolishly, not keeping always to the same opinions with regard to the same things, as blind men are led by the blind, they shall deservedly fall into the ditch of ignorance lying in their path, ever seeking and never finding out the truth. It behooves us, therefore, to avoid their doctrines and to take careful heed, lest we suffer any injury from them, but to flee to the church and be brought up in her bosom and be nourished with the Lord's scriptures." And this so should give us great confidence. Wrote, yeah, uh, so INS wrote that everyone needed to be united to the church at Rome in order to keep the true faith. He said mm-hmm. this over 140 years before the reign of Constantine. Again, obedience to the faith. You know, this should give us great confidence, though, because that's, you know, the flip side of it is that the confidence this should, this should give us is is, you know, for the person who wants to, you know, they've been on that bad road. They've been on that wrong road for a long time, maybe gone very far down that bad road. You're only one right turn away from uh, from turning it all around. And we have that the sac- that sacramental grace in order to aid us uh, in, in, in doing that. Um, and, and to motivate and for, us and to do that. Who, uh, and those who are fallen from the church, all you need is one confession with a contrived heart. Talk about that real quick and that, how that plays into it. And, and, and here's where I want you to go with, with, with that, because common misunderstanding is that uh, on the Protestant end, because there are some people that say that, well, you know, as long as you were – you know, as long as you're sorry for your sins, as long as you, as long as you're sorry. Contrast the difference between what happened with Judas and what happened with Peter. This this idea of the difference between attrition and contrition. Well, when it comes to Judas, I mean, Judas was present while Christ was performing miracles. And Judas was just, he had fear, human fear, which he could never get get over. He feared the Romans. He feared uh, uh, being with the apostles uh, in, in, in one sense, but kind of like the same way Peter did, where Peter denied Christ three times. You know, this is, this is a human fear. And uh Take into consideration this is also before Pentecost when you know Peter was his strength is faith is strengthening everything. But he still never saw the true nature of what was happening. And where Peter, what did he say in uh, in John six? God told Peter that we must eat his eat his uh, uh, flesh and drink his blood to have life within us. And Peter, even though he was not yet strengthened, had the humility to say, after Christ asked him, will you also leave? 
Peter says, where should we go? You have the words of eternal life. So Peter, uh, in, in the understanding of that time, was probably thinking at some point he's got to take Jesus, carve him up, and add some barbecue sauce and you know, have a meal. Because uh, yet, on the other hand, he saw Jesus as Lord and simply accepted things you could not understand. Yeah. And how many of us have gotten to that point in our in our lives, Luke? I know, though I have, and I don't mean the part of confronting the doctrine of of the Eucharist. I'm talking about getting in that place where, uh, you know, Lord, I, I have no idea where where you're taking me. Um, in in fact, I I'm, I'm remember the song written by Rich Mullins where he says. Um, uh, the, the the line about uh, I can't see where you're leading me unless you've led me here to where I'm lost enough to let myself be led. And, uh, you know, the irony of Rich Mullins singing those words is that he was killed in a car accident nine days later. Um, we just don't know. And But how many times have we had to step out in that I, Lord, I don't know what you're doing here. I have no idea what you're doing here. This doesn't make any sense at all, but I'm going to follow you anyway. Um, and, and that is, I mean, if, if you understand it, it's not faith, right? If, if, if you know the way, it's not faith. It's when you have to step out when you have absolutely no idea. And that has to have been where Peter was in that moment. But, wait a minute. Jesus just told me that I have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. What on earth is he talking about? And yet, he has the words of eternal life, and I'm I'm going to follow him, even though what he's saying makes makes no sense. I I thank you for pointing it out, Luke, because tremendous faith Peter showed in that moment. Yeah, and if you place everything in context about everything we discuss, when Christ says you must die to self, right there is the ultimate dying to self. This is my body. So right there, in a nutshell, you just disproved faith alone because you just proved that faith, actual faith, has to be proven. It has to be tested. It has to be proven by action, not by simple verbal assent and um and Judas proved in that moment, he proved that he didn't have faith, and Peter proved that he did, and that in a nutshell is why this idea of, which even calling it faith alone is dishonest. It's really assent to faith alone is what they believe. We also see a level of humility there, uh, the complete, the complete self-giving to Christ. I mean, uh, the proverb says the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of uh, uh, of beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is prudence. Yep. So this, this so this holy fear, and acceptance of what God is telling us, even though you know we need to come to it as a child, who we we don't come close to understanding the Eucharist, but due to our love for Christ. Coupled with humility, we say, God, you are Lord. There is no yeah. other. And so I am going to accept your words and accept that what you taught the apostles is true because you taught the same thing to the disciples of the apostles who lived the Catholic faith. Yep. Yeah. Hey, uh, next week. I think you brought up a good point, and I, maybe we should use this next Friday as our stepping off point to continue this conversation. You talked about how the early church fathers very, very much did not assent to this idea of sola fide. So why don't we address that in next Friday's episode? Let's Let's look at what the early church fathers said about what real faith looks like. Is that, is that okay? Sure. We'll also, in that process, show how even the word faith was manipulated when we went from low English to to high English. 
where uh, there's there's some confusion created, whether we call that a diabolical deception or just an error, uh, we'll discuss. <laughs> yep. All right. So on this uh, Friday, which is the day of our Lord's sacrifice, we're going to leave with uh, a prayer for the souls in purgatory taught to us by Jesus to Sister Faustina, uh, Faustina in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. O blood and water which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. O blood and water which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. O blood and water which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Luke, God bless you. Another great program. I enjoyed it thoroughly and can't wait till next Friday. You have a wonderful weekend. Thank you very much. God bless.